Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where the streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, low, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be.
out, you know it as well. Well, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me.
Good morning. Good to see all of you here today. Did you enjoy that worship this morning? I remember several years ago when I called Shane and asked him if he'd be interested in coming to uh, Liberal to be our worship leader. He said, I'll come on two conditions. One, you teach me how to sing. Two, you teach me how to play the guitar. How did I do? <laughs> lessons, lessons are available. Uh, so if you want to give me a call, uh, actually, if you knew Shane before and if you know me now, you know that is not the truth whatsoever. So 1 John uh, chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're going to look at uh, beginning in verse 15 in just a moment. Now, as we look at 1 John, we need to remember that we live in a fallen world and as we live in this fallen world, we are confronted by and often in the company of people who claim to know Christ, who claim to love Christ, but really don't know Christ and really don't love Christ. And you can tell that by their actions. You can tell that by the things that they say, the things that they do, the things that they believe. Now, John is talking to some young believers in the church, and there's been some false teaching that's come into the church and just some false ways of living that have come into the church that he feels the need to address as he's talking to these young believers. Now, you know, when we lived in, in Dallas, there was a guy that I would drive by on a regular basis who stood on the street corner with a sign that was begging for money. Now, this is a site that you would see in several different places, but this guy was unique, and he had a very unique sign. And his sign always got me every time I saw it in a funny-feeling kind of way. The sign said, Christians for Cannabis. And he would stand there every day, faithfully, all day long on this one intersection, and he wouldn't just stand there as cars pull up and they stop at the light. He would walk right out in front of the car and he would hold up the sign right there in your window where all you could see was Christians for cannabis. Now one day, uh, a friend of mine and I, we were, went to Whataburger, you know, God's uh, chosen fast food hamburger restaurant. And it was on the corner, one of the corners that this guy would stand on. And he came in that morning to get his breakfast, and I was amazed. He went to pay for his breakfast, and he opened up his wallet. This must be a very lucrative business holding that sign because he had more cash than most people you would ever see. And he pays for his meal, and he goes and sits down at the table. 
And when he sits down at the table, his phone rings and he answers it, Christians for cannabis. And it must have been a salesman on the other end of the phone. You know, one of those that, hey, your car warranty has expired or we've been granted the permission to extend our insurance to you for a limited time, one of those. And you could tell by the way he was talking to this person that he was not happy that they had called. And I could tell that by the words that he was using. He was using words that was making me blush while I was sitting there. Nobody in this restaurant should have heard that, but everybody could. And he went on for a little while, and he finally hung up. And right after he hung up, apparently the person on the other end of the phone did not get the message that he was not interested in what they were selling, so they called right back. You ever had that happen? If that doesn't make you lose your Christianity, nothing will. And he begins to talk to them again, much louder and using much more graphic words. And he finally gets mad and he slams down his phone on the table. And I had to laugh at this point because the phone goes sliding off the table, goes down underneath all the uh, benches that are there, up against the wall in the corner where he has to get down on his hands and knees and crawl under to get his phone. And the whole time he's doing it, he is now talking to his phone the same way he talked to the person on the phone. After a few minutes, he finishes his breakfast, puts his phone back together, finishes his breakfast, gets up, grabs his sign, Christians for Cannabis, goes right back out to that same intersection, as happy as he can be, holding up his Christians for Cannabis sign. Now, I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know whether he is truly a follower of Christ or not, but what I do know is his actions that day told me something completely different than that first word on his sign, Christians. Now, before we're quick to judge, we need to examine our own lives because how many times in our lives, if people were to look at us, would they say, they are acting like Christians should act? Let me just do this. Let's take a little poll this morning. How many of you in your Christian walk have messed up in such a way that you would be embarrassed for somebody around you that was watching you to see how you acted yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Some of us this morning, you know, I always laugh at church, you know, we get up when our kids were young, we'd get up, of course, I was always at the church early, but, you know, you watch families get up and what's the hardest day of the week to get your kids ready to do something? Sunday, right? Why? They love going to church, don't they? They're having fun, but it's still the hardest day of the week. And you watch parents drive into the parking lot, and you can still see them on their kids. And then they pull up to the door to let their kids out, and they're just like, oh, hi, good morning, good morning, good to be here. We all have our moments, right? That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm going to be talking about a lifestyle, okay, a lifestyle that is opposite of the way our life should be in Christ. Because how many of you know that when we come to Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, that he makes us a new creation? And aren't you grateful for that? That that old lifestyle, that old way of living, that old way of living for the world like we're going to look at in just a moment has passed away. That's not our nature anymore. Our nature is now a Christ-like nature. Not that we're not going to stumble and fall, not that we're not going to have issues in this life, but we're drawn more and more every day as we grow in our relationship to Christ to be more and more like him. And that's what we're going to look at. And that's what John is, is letting these believers know. He's, he said, you got to watch out. 
as you're walking through this Christian life. And he gives us some pitfalls to watch out for as he's talking again to these young believers. Now, last week, Shane began this series studying through the, the book of 1 John. And he pointed out that as you read through this book, you're, you're going to see a reoccurring theme of truth, obedience, and love. Truth, obedience, and love. We must know the truth. We must walk in obedience. And we must share the love of Christ with others in the body, in the fellowship, and even beyond that. So truth, obedience, and love. That is the way that we are to walk in this Christian life. Now, again, remember, John is, is speaking from his heart to these believers. He's speaking from his heart really in a passionate kind of way to live out your Christian life in such a way that you don't stumble and fall, that you don't fall into the traps because we do have an enemy out there that's trying to trip us up along the way. And you don't want to fall into those tra traps to live a Christian life in truth of Christ in such a way that brings about joy in their lives no matter what comes their way. No matter what you face. How do you have this joy? How do you continue to walk? How do you continue to stand firm in the faith? In 1 John chapter 2, John shares these pitfalls that we're going to look at. Notice with me if you would, at verse, beginning in verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Now let's stop right there for a few moments. Let's look at this very first pitfall that he throws out. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. Do not love the world or the things of the world. Now, as we saw last week, we are told to love God and to love one another. And that's very important. That is something that we should do. We should love God first, love others second. And by the way, let me just throw this out. I believe in our life that as we're loving God the way that we should be loving God, it becomes much easier to love others, right? Even some that are unlovable. You know any unlovable people? Some that you just look at and say, God, I know I'm to love them, but they're kind of hard to love. Don't look at them. You just know that some of them are there. Sometimes it's hard, even in the body of Christ, because we have different personalities. We have different ways that we do things. And sometimes some people are just hard to love. But we're told to love God and love one another. And as we're loving God, it is easy for us to see sometimes these pitfalls that are there. But sometimes it's not so easy to see. So John is giving a warning. He said, you got to watch out for these pitfalls. you got to watch out for the pitfalls of loving the world. Now, when John warns us not to love the world nor the things of the world, he is speaking about the materialistic world that we live in. And he is speaking about the world system that is around us. And you think about this world that we live in. Aren't you glad that God created such a beautiful world for us to live in? There's some places that you can go to that it's just so amazing, the handiwork of God that you see. Now, it's not wrong to love that. That's not what he's talking about. 
We can love God's creation all around us. Even that big old tumbleweed that goes flying past you at 120 miles an hour, if that's your thing, you can love that. Not a problem. Okay? But what he's talking about are the things of the world that have no eternal value, that don't point to God, that are not godly at all. The things of the world that would pull us down in the system of the world. And he makes a very bold statement when he says that the one that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does he mean by that? The one that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In Luke 16, 13, Jesus said this. He said, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That's what John's getting at. Is you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve the things of this world and the system of this world and serve God at the same time because they don't go together. They conflict with each other. And it's a problem. It's important for us to understand the more that we love the world and the things of this world, the more our love for God will dwindle. But the more that we love God and the things of God, the more our love for the world will dwindle. There's not room for both. As a matter of fact, Warren Wiersbe said that the heart of man is narrow and cannot contain both loves. We are not capable of loving both the world and loving God at the same time. It is also important for us to note that that John is not writing so that these young believers would doubt their salvation, which sometimes it may look that way, that if you love the things of this world, then God's not in you. He's actually writing these things to encourage them, as we'll see in 1 John 5, 13, that they may know and be assured that they are in God and that they have eternal life. But do not love the world. That's a pitfall in our life. So what is this love of the world that he's talking about? It is loving the temporal things of this world rather than the eternal things of heaven. Loving the things that bring temporary pleasure more than loving the things of God that bring eternal pleasure. How many of you realize today that the things of this world are temporary and they will pass away? They will not last forever. But it is the things of God that last forever, the eternal things of God. And that's what our focus as believers should be on. Before we come to know Christ and that old nature, that old nature loves the world, the things of the world. But the new nature that we now have in Christ loves the things of God, the eternal things that last forever. And the more we grow in our relationship with Christ, the more we recognize and realize that. So what is he talking about? He lists three areas. Where, where worldly pitfalls come from. The first one is this, lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh, these are the desires of the body. The lust of the flesh is that temptation to feel physical pleasure in some form or fashion, some sinful activity to do something to make the flesh feel satisfied, and that is just temporary. It can involve any type of sinful activity that will bring pleasure to the body. Some of the examples of lust of the flesh include the following, but this is just a small list. Sexual sins are the first ones that come to mind because that is an obvious. Physical violence, drug use. What about this? Gossip, 
That is one of them. That's something sometimes we get caught up in and we really enjoy. We don't even think about it being one of these things that he is pointing out. What about, I'm not going to go here for us, overeating. Why do you laugh? That's not us, is it? Sometimes our food becomes our God, doesn't it? And it is a lust of the flesh. All these things, you can go on and and list a bunch of them. The Apostle Paul gives us a nice example. He calls them works of the flesh, which are works we do when we can succumb to the lust of the flesh. You'll see these in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, where he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Obvious are the acts of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And when he adds and the like, that means that the list continues on and on and on. There's a lot of them that are out there that the lust of the flesh that we need to avoid. John says that's a pitfall. If you go after the desires of the flesh rather than the desires of God, that's a pitfall in your life, and it's going to affect your relationship with God. It's going to affect your walk with God. And your walk's not going to be where it needs to be. And if your walk with God is not where it needs to be, then your walk with other believers is not where it needs to be, and there's a problem. So watch out for the lust of the flesh. Then he goes on, and he says, watch out for the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is the temptation to look upon things we desire or pleasure and to covet those things, even though God has told us not to look upon those things. The desire which comes from the things that we might see, the things that we look upon, greed, materialism, envy, strong desires which come from wanting the things that we see. He says, watch out for those. That's a pitfall that you might fall into. Now, to covet means to have a yearning or a strong desire to have something that rightfully belongs to someone else. You know, covet is one of those sins that we don't talk about much anymore. It's one of those things that we kind of put to the side. Maybe that's not such a big deal, but let me remind you, it was a big enough deal that it made the top ten list, the Ten Commandments, right? Matter of fact, the Tenth Commandment says, do not covet. It's very important, and John reminds us today that that is something that we need to watch out for because it can become a pitfall in our life. Think about this, times that we see coveting in the Bible. How about Adam and Eve when we go all the way back to the garden, how they coveted the fruit of the one tree that God said to remain away from. You can have everything else. Everything else you know in that garden had to look great, but it was this one thing that was off limits. And I think sometimes it's when those things are off limits that they become so tempting to us that we have built up such a desire. We begin to think about it. What would it be like to have that one thing that we know that we cannot have? And we begin to covet that more than we covet God, more than we want God in our life. What about David when he coveted Bathsheba, who was the wife of another man when he saw her from afar off? How about this? All these Chevrolet truck drivers that covet my Toyota when I drive by. (laughs) Oh, I'd love to have that truck. Not just any Toyota, but that truck. There are so many things. 
in our life that can become a problem in this area? Are there things in your life that you're just looking at and for some reason you know it's not what you're supposed to have, but you're building that desire? Be careful because that's a pitfall because here's what will happen. You'll desire it enough that you'll eventually reach out for it and take it. And it's a pitfall in your life. Be very careful. Coveting is desiring others, material possessions, status, appearance, etc., It's the recognition that something sinful has visual appeal and then wanting it for the sake of its visual appeal. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not sinful to own a Toyota. It's just sinful to want mine. Be very cautious on what those thoughts are when we look at other things that we desire. We must be careful what we set before our eyes. Then there's the pride of life. The pride of life Pride is that sinful temptation for excess greatness or power that we all feel the temptation to attain. Pride itself is one of the sins that God hates the most. What does it say? Pride goes before what? The fall. Pride goes before the fall. Pride is that one temptation that can really take us down probably quicker than anything else. God hates it the most. It is the sin that made Lucifer, the beautiful angel, turn into Satan, the adversary. Some examples of the sin of pride include desiring to get credit or glory for things that others or God did. I want to say that again because I want you to get this. It's desiring to get credit or glory for the things that others or that God did. I hope you recognize today That any success that you have in life comes from God. Anything that you can do on your own comes from God. God gave you the ability to do that. You say, well, I I learned. Who gave you the ability to learn? Who put the brain in your head to learn? God did. God is the one who gets the credit and the glory. But we want to take that credit for ourselves. Desiring for others to worship us or to hold us in excess esteem. To make a name for ourselves. Isn't that what the world tells us to do? You need to go out and you need to make a name for yourself. Think about that. Out of all the people that have ever lived in this world. The many people that are out there. How many people can you actually name from the beginning of time that actually made a name for themselves? Not very many. And what makes you think that people are going to remember your name very long after you're gone? Make a name for yourself? Why? That's not what's going to last for eternity. Desiring to feel valued or more important than others around us. Oh, I deserve more credit than they do. I have more value than they do. I am more important than they are. Desiring to have position of power over others in a way that puffs up our own ego for the sake of bragging rights. Anybody ever known anybody who just had a huge ego? And you just wanted to knock their feet right out from under them? Fortunately, God can take care of that. We don't have to. But that's what it is, having this big ego of look at me. Look who I am. Look at what I've accomplished, the pride of life. Consider the words of Satan himself who was so filled with pride that he wanted to be God. He said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. 
He was trying himself to be God. And that's what pride is in our life. It's putting us in a place, in whatever area that pride is in, putting us in a place as God over our life. Elevating ourselves. And John is saying, you got to be careful. Watch out that that does not happen. And I'm telling you, the more we fall in love with Christ, the more we know who he is, the more we follow him and have fellowship with him every day, the more we recognize that I am nobody and he is everybody. I am nothing and he is something. And it's because of him in my life that I can accomplish anything. It's his work in me and through me that makes the difference. Not what I do, but what he does through me. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have nice things. There's nothing wrong with wanting to excel in your position and whatever it is that that God has gifted you to do. But it is wrong when we desire those things more than we desire God. We're seeking those things more than we are seeking him. That those things become number one in our life rather than God being number one in our life. That's when all of this becomes a problem. And John says, be careful. It's a pitfall. But he goes on. There's another pitfall that I want us to look at. Notice in verse 18. He says, children, it's the last hour. Now, I don't know about you, but that part, right? we can just stop right there. That gets me excited. Aren't you glad it's the last hour with the way things are going? And as you have heard... That Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. By this, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? If not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. The one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Here's the pitfall. He's saying avoid the pitfall of enemies of the gospel. It was a year ago uh, this month, I had the privilege of going to the country of Zambia and helping plant a new church over in Zambia. It was an incredible time, but one of the first things that we did when we got there was we exchanged our American currency for Zambian currency. Now, the girl that took our money, she took the American currency and she felt it real good, she looked at it real good. What was she checking? to make sure that it was not counterfeit. And then she handed us Zambian money, which I've never seen before in my life. It kind of looks like Monopoly money, some. And I'm looking at it going, how in the world could I know if this was counterfeit or not? I, I don't know. Now, with an American dollar, I might be able to tell if something was counterfeit, but there's a lot of good counterfeits that are out there that might slip by. And in the church, a lot of times... There's counterfeits. As a matter of fact, John is dealing with that with the church that he's talking to, with these young believers that he's talking to. He's saying, be careful because there are counterfeits among you. There are counterfeits that have made their way into the church. These counterfeit teachers, these counterfeit Christians, 
They may look good on the outside. They may sound like they know what they're talking about, but they're not teaching the truth and they're not living the Christian life. They are counterfeits in the church. They had all the outward, uh, outward looks of somebody that was real, somebody that was genuine. But John wants them to understand you need to be careful that you don't fall into this pit trap of these that are against the gospel. John's letter to these young Christians is written to warn them against those who would seek to deceive them into believing a false doctrine. He writes to caution them against those who would intentionally lead them astray. Now as then, there are people in the church, people who look the part, people who say the right words, people who have all the externals that look so right. But when you listen to what they say, and when you watch what they do, it becomes obvious that they're not following the Jesus of the Bible. They're not following the truth that we see in the Scripture. And it is evident from the tone of the letter that John is writing to a church who is being infiltrated and besieged by those who sought to teach a message other than that which Jesus taught. Now, church history tells us that the Gnostics were a major threat to Christianity in the early century. That's who John is talking about. Now, remember, the church is young at this point. It didn't take very long for the false teachers to make their way into the church. And these Gnostics came in, and these Gnostics were teaching uh, about Jesus, that, that Jesus really never did come in the flesh, that Jesus was just seen in the Spirit. And since he was just seen in the Spirit, that the only way you need to live your life, as far as Jesus is concerned, in the, is in the Spirit. You can live your fleshly life however you want. You can love all these things of the world that he warned about. You can have all the pride that you want. It does not matter as long as the spirit is right. And by the way, there's only a few that have the right spiritual uh, thoughts that can make their way up to know God. And if you want to be part of the few, then listen to us. That's really what they were teaching the, the Gnostics in that day. They taught that Jesus never came to the earth in the flesh. And I find this interesting because here's John, remember the last living apostle who walked with Jesus in the flesh. And they're over here teaching, well, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. He was just in the spirit. And I can see John going, really? Well, let me tell you what I know. Who are you going to listen to? The ones that have just heard about Jesus or the one that walked with Jesus? And John is saying, if they're teaching anything any Jesus other than the Jesus that you see in the Gospels, if they're teaching any other Jesus than the Jesus that we have taught to you, then that Jesus that they're teaching is wrong. That Jesus is not right. That is a false teaching, and you need to stay away from that because that is a pitfall that will cause you to stumble and to fall. John has every right to step up and correct this teaching because he was an eyewitness of Christ. It was John who walked with this physical Jesus who saw him do the many miracles that he did, the healing the sick, the raising the dead. It was John who walked with Jesus and saw him go to the cross. It was John who comforted the mother of Jesus while Jesus was dying on the cross. It was John who witnessed the resurrection of Christ, who saw the living Christ, physically saw him, not just some spiritual thing that he was able to see because he was elevated above others but he was able to see it because he was right there with Jesus saw him physically and if anybody teaches anything other than that then they're wrong in what they teach 
And he's stepping up saying, be careful. Be careful to know what you're hearing. I want to tell you something. You can, you can turn on the television. You can listen to the radio. You can go to some churches that look great. And just because somebody is a good communicator does not mean that they're speaking the truth. If it does not line up with God's word, it is not true. And I challenge you, every time you hear somebody speaking God's word, you verify it. You open up your Bible and you look and is that what God's word says? But how can we know? How can we really know? Well, notice what he said in verse 20. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy Spirit who now lives inside of you. Here's great news for us today that when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that helps us to know what is truth and what is not true. John says, you know. How do you know? It's inside of you. The Spirit of God that's speaking to you. That when you open up the Word of God, it is the Spirit of God that helps you see the truth in the Word of God. When you stumble, when you fall, it is the Spirit of God that convicts you in that fall, that lets you know this is not how you're supposed to live. And you need to come back. Now, I want to tell you, if you can go on sinning every day and that's a lifestyle in your life and it does not bother you at all, you need to check your relationship with God because obviously something's not right. Because if the Spirit of God is in you, He will convict you of that sin. And here's the great news. When He convicts you of that sin, you can turn right back and you can get right back on path with God. And you can move forward in your relationship with him. And that's the step. How do we do this? How do we walk this life? Remain in the truth. Very quickly. 1 John 2, 24 through 25. He says, what you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and the Father. This is the promise that he himself made to us eternal life. The truth the gospel of Christ. The Christ, the one and only Son of God, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for you and I, rose again and now sits at the right hand of the Father, came in flesh into this broken world and became broken for us so that through him our relationship with God could be restored through Jesus Christ in no other way. Anything else is not the truth. Anything else is against the gospel and is an enemy of the gospel. Walk with God. Remain in the truth. It is the truth of Christ abiding in us that is the means of severing us from sin and uniting us to God. And the promise that we have through that in verse 25, and this is the promise that he himself made to us eternal life. Walk in the truth. Walk in God. Don't stumble into these pitfalls that are around us. And by the way, the things that John listed on the first pitfalls, the things of the world, any sin that's out there fits in there. Any of that sin that will cause us to stumble that gets in the way of our relationship with God. Let's pray together. Father, today I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this passage today that that reminds us to walk faithfully in you. To trust you and not trust things around us that we hear or things that we see, but to trust what your word says, to trust what your spirit shows us and teaches us in our life. 
God, help us every day to recognize the pitfalls around us. Help us to remember that there is an enemy that is trying to take us down and wants nothing more than to destroy our life and our walk with you. Put that light of Christ out in some way. But God, we know that as we walk with Christ, that we are in the light. As we walk with you and trust you that we are in the light and we can know the truth around us and we can be victorious in this life. We can live a life of joy and trust in you. God, I thank you for your love for us. Now, God, I pray that you would use this time. Just speak to our hearts. God, I pray that if there's an area in our life where we have placed something above our relationship with you, God, that you would use this time to point that out to us. That, God, we would, we would not let anything be above you in our life. So, God, show us your truth today. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that, God, your, your spirit would just draw them unto yourself and that today would be the day of salvation for them. In Christ's name that I pray. Amen.